Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 275 of the Juicebox podcast. Today, you're probably expecting an Ask Scott and Jenny or a Defining Diabetes, but instead, I'm going to bring you something that I think is just as valuable. Every once in a while, there's research done around diabetes that when you stop and listen to it, helps you do better. And this falls under that category. This is just going to be a quick 20 minutes, but it's packed with good information. Today's episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Companion Medical, makers of the InPen. Go to companionmedical.com to find out more. Please remember that nothing you hear on the Juice Box Podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise, and to always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. Quick announcement for those of you living in Pennsylvania, particularly in the Valley Forge, or more specifically, Trap, PA area. On November 10th, 2019, it's a Sunday, but don't worry, the Eagles are in a bye. I recently shared all of my speaking engagements online, and somebody came to me and said privately, I wish you would come to this area. And I said, I, you know, I can't control who invites me to come where. And this person told me, well, I can find a space for you to speak. Will you come if I do that? And I was like, yeah, sure. So this isn't sponsored by anybody. It's not for the JDRF or anything. Just going to be me showing up at a church that was nice enough to donate some space for us. We're going to talk about being bold with insulin, go over the tenets of the podcast, the pro tips kind of stuff. And then there's going to be a huge Q&A where we're just going to chat and try to figure out people's problems. So if you're in the area and you're interested... I think there's about 20 people coming now. I think the space holds about 100. Go to the events tab on my Facebook page and RSVP. I'm Tomas T-O-M-A-S Walker. I am the Senior U.S. Medical Director with Dexcom. Those of you who love data and understand how it helps people will remember Tomas from episode 66, which is still relevant to this day and you should listen to. So when I heard that Tomas had some data, some new data, from a really incredible study from the Czech Republic that he thought was important enough to share, I booked him on the show immediately. And as a bonus, there's a little something called Dexcom Pro that he's here to tell us about as well that may help a lot of you at your doctor's office. You ready? Let's do this. So there's two things going on right now with Dexcom. One is the Dexcom, is it called Pro? Yeah, the Dexcom G6 Pro has just been just received FDA approval. All right, and then the other thing is like an acronym that I don't know. Am I right? Uh, the Comasar study is that what it is? I think of it as an acronym because there's a lot of uh, capital letters in it, but that maybe yeah, <laughs> the Comasar study. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, which was a study on uh, the impact of sensor augmented insulin regimens, which essentially looked at the benefit of using CGM compared to multiple daily injections and finger sticks, insulin pumps and finger sticks, and then insulin pumps and CGM and multiple daily injections and CGM. So I wanted to see the benefit of adding continuous glucose monitoring to the classic regimens of diabetes therapy and compare them to each other. Okay. And that was um, something you would like to share, I guess. And so it must, it must be interesting if you're, if you, I'm assuming if it wasn't interesting, you guys wouldn't be interested in sharing it. You'd, you'd be like, nothing happened. Just big wasted, 
big waste of time. <laughs> Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> Going on. <TV>. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. The, so it's, it's a fun study that came out of the Czech Republic by Dr. Jan Schopel and Dr. Martin Prozny. Mm-hmm. And what the study actually did was recruit 90 some patients who were coming into their diabetes clinic training sessions. And uh, they put them all into a three, four day intensive clinic training session. At the end of it, they essentially pick the treatment option they want for the next four years of therapy. Okay. So the patients could choose, I want to stay on MDI and finger sticks. I want to go on a pump, but I'm going to stick with finger sticks. I want to go on a pump, but I want to use a CGM. Or I want to stay on MDI, but I'd like to use a CGM. Mm -hmm. So the patients were allowed to self-select for which therapy option they wanted. They were then um, enrolled in this study, which was really just more of an observational study, and they were followed out three years now, which makes this the longest study of people using diabetes technology ever completed. So that's what's really exciting to me is prior to this, the longest studies we had of people using CGM were six or 12 months. And we have completely blown that out of the water now and pushed it out three years. And uh, I'm very pleased to tell you that they actually have the funding to complete the fourth year of study. So, you know, most of the time you get an insulin pump, it's warrantied for four or five years. So now we're going to be able to say this is the entire life cycle of someone using CGM technology out four years. Mm-hmm. And the CGM you're talking about is, I'm assuming, the G6? Uh, no, actually, this study was based around the Dexcom G4. This was in Europe, and uh, some of the patients did have G5. None of these patients were using Gen 6. Okay, okay. And uh, and varying pumps? Not, Or did they give them all one spur- certain? Uh, it was, uh, my understanding was that they had a choice of two pumps in the Czech Republic. They could use the Medtronic pumps, or they could use the Animus pumps with the G4 um, sensors. Well, see, you know, you start looking back a couple of years, you start hearing words you don't hear anymore. Like, ah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that so far, that's amazing. And who, who put the study together again? So this was done by Dr. Jan Schopel and Dr. Martin Prozny, who are two endocrinologists out of the Czech Republic. And this was funded by the Czech health ministry. So people ask me, what's my favorite part of this study? My favorite part of this study is, is nobody in industry had anything to do with this. This was done entirely by this group of clinicians and the Czech government to look at the impact of these technologies on diabetes care. Wow, that's very cool. That's great that people are thinking that way still. And yeah, because it's, and how, so how did you get involved in it? I mean, other than I'm assuming they had to come to Dexcom and say, we want to use the G4 for the study or no. No, actually we didn't get involved with it at all. There is no Dexcom sponsorship of this study. That's uh, I, we didn't actually know about this study until we saw the first poster regarding it. Um, a few years ago and saw that the protocol had been submitted to the NCT trials database. So uh, again, this is, this is a study that was done without the contributions of Dexcom or Medtronic or anyone in industry. It was done entirely by the Czech government and the, uh, the, uh, the Charles University in, uh, in the Czech Republic. So three years worth of data, is it broken down by how you chose? Like, or what, what, is, it, what is it telling you? It is broken down by how you by how by this by the approach you chose. Basically, it wasn't quite equal groups, but it was almost equal between the uh, the subjects. So, twenty five subjects in each group mm-hmm. in MDI. <clears throat> excuse me, in MDI and finger sticks, pump and finger sticks, MDI and CGM or pump and CGM, and then they were tracked out every three months for four years. And at the end of this three year period, they have eighty eight of these ninety four subjects still active in the trial. So great, great retention, great follow through. 
And what they've been able to show is that the patients who went on pump and CGM or MDI and CGM have a 0.1% difference in their A1C out three years later. And this has been consistent since six months after starting the, uh, the therapies. So, and the interesting thing is this is mirrored almost exactly in the patients who stuck with finger sticks. So the patients who are on MDI and finger sticks and pump and finger sticks also have a difference of about 0.1% in their A1C out three years. Now, their A1C is about 1% higher than the patients who are using CGM. So that's also a strong message that the insulin delivery method doesn't matter. What matters is using CGM is what improves diabetes care because patients are able to make those real-time decisions they need to manage their disease. Well, do you have um, an idea for the range? So uh, people pumping uh, with CGM uh, and people shooting with CGM, you said they're about a percentage off, but what, where does the range fall? Like, are they a seven and an eight or a six and a seven? Yeah. 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 You're looking at 6.9 to 7.1. That's where everybody with CGM was falling. Okay. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. People using finger sticks were more like 8.1, like in that. They, yeah. They, they, they were sitting around 8%. Yeah. Wow. So if you, so if you see, so I guess the other thing is that it has to show that the people who are injecting not afraid to inject more like they were so so that that's one of the interesting one of the interesting findings of the study was when they looked at the data we assumed that the patients on the pumps would be more likely to take multiple boluses right there was an old study done called the switch study which showed that when you gave patients on pumps cgm they were more inclined to take an extra bolus like oh, i'm so high after lunch i'm going to take an extra unit they were willing to take more injections, and that was part of what improved their control. Well, when you look at the commissar data, they actually they actually tracked the number of injections per day, and the number of injections per day was like 6.6 of fast-acting insulin per day, which matched like 6.8 microboluses per day using insulin pumps extra. I guess there's no there was no statistically significant difference between the number of boluses the pumpers were giving versus the patients on multiple daily injections. Yeah. I actually thought that was kind of interesting because if I had had to make a guess and predict, I would have said the people injecting were probably going to be taking a little bit less injections than the patients on the pumps, mm -hmm. but it wasn't what was shown. What it showed was that the patients were on multiple daily injections and they were just as inclined to do an extra bolus of insulin as a patient using an insulin pump. Yeah, that's something. I, I thought what you would probably find you are finding, which is that when you get the data, you can start making better decisions. And those decisions then lead to not needing to make more decisions later. You know what I mean? Like once you've seen a meal go, I was, you know what? I did an episode telling us the other day that were rehearsed on it. I almost said something that I, I shouldn't <laughs> say on here. So let me just start over again. When, after you see a meal go the wrong way, a couple of times, you can make the decision, you know what, I, I keep bolus in four units for this, but obviously it's five, so why don't I just do five? And you can start injecting more thoughtfully after you've seen it once or twice. I, I Listen, I can't agree more. I wanted to have you on to talk about this because I'm a huge believer, obviously. So uh, that is really something. And, and that they didn't – now, they're adults too. I guess that's important to keep in mind, right? Were these all adults? These are all adults. This is an entirely adult population, uh huh? Yeah, and and I would say to an adult population of probably motivated people, or they wouldn't be involved too. They're not a passive group, I would imagine. 
you know, it, they were following through on their routine care every three months. So, but the fact that they had 88 of the 94 that enrolled still present at three years tell you, tells you that this group was really at least committed at some level to this care. Yeah, yeah. They, they were not cherry-picked, but they were people who were interested enough to follow through. My point is then they're interested enough to pay attention to the data and make adjustments too. Sure. Yeah, yeah, that's excellent. That's really cool. Oh, my God. So now where do you go from here with that? What, what do you do with this data? So where this goes from here is this goes to four years now. So they're going to finish getting the fourth year of data. And then they were discussing um, the, the, the group running the study, how they want to take the next, the next study forward. Um, they've really raised the bar here. You know, bringing in four years of data on 100 patients with type 1 diabetes, it's like stand back. This is groundbreaking. No one has done this sort of diabetes technology study before. Um, I'm glad to see they've done it. They've really raised the bar. I think that they're discussing themselves the best way to go forward. I wonder if this isn't something you can use to pressure health agencies or insurance coverage or that sort of thing. I mean, you would think that saying to them, Putting putting this person on this should lower their A one C a point. Uh, th- that that would be a big motivator, I would think, for for them. So you know, one of one of the comments I make when I talk about this study, when I talk to payers, is I don't want to hear any more griping about not enough longitudinal data. Okay, no one else is coming in with three and four years worth of data. If you you have to look at this and recognize the uniqueness of this data set. Yeah, I appreciate that because I just I just heard the other day from a person. Uh, an adult who was flat told in, in America, your A1C is too good. We're not going to let you have a CGM. Like, I don't even know what that means. Do you, you, you know what I mean? But, but it's, it's too, so your, your health isn't poor enough for us to cover this, this CGM for you is something people still get told. <laughs> it's fascinating. Um, yeah, and, and, a, and A1C is, is not a perfect marker. I mean, all you have to do is look at what some of the work from Roy Beck and the Jabe Center to say that, you know, A1C, it doesn't always correlate as closely to time and range as we think it might. Yeah. And did this data show anything around variability of time and range? Yeah, they showed that the patients with CGM had significantly less glucose variability and significantly more time and range, regardless of the insulin delivery method. Mm. What's the range they use? Do you know off the top of your head? And I'm sorry, I'd have to go back and look at the paper again. I don't That's remember right. that one off the top of my head. It's pretty specific. I just took a swing there. I wasn't sure if you would know. I um I I I joke sometimes with the people listening that you can't you can't set your uh, your Dexcom at 65 and 400 and then get online and tell me you were in range all day. And so I, um, I, I, you know, you have to pick something reasonable. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the range they looked at was 70 to 180 milligrams per deciliter. That would have been my guess. I think that's a yeah. pretty, a pretty um, widely accepted uh, uh, range for people. I, uh, I know we keep ours incredibly tight for reaction purposes. So when, mm-hmm. when I look at some of our data is skewed because ours is 70 120. And so I, you have to kind of look through some of the numbers, you know what I mean? And, and figure out what they really mean. And then you can kind of reset that out to 150 and you go, oh, okay, this is, this is very reasonable. Tomas will be back in a second to talk about Dexcom Pro. But first, I'd like to tell you about the InPen from Companion Medical. So try to imagine that your CGM, your insulin pen, and an app on your phone all connect to each other creating a sort of triumvirate of diabetes care. What does this do? You may be wondering, Scott, why do I care about this? Well, if you're an MDI user, a person using multiple daily injections, and you're just using a regular old dumb pen, this smart pen 
is a game changer. What it does is it gives you a lot, if not almost all, of the options that you gain with an insulin pump. Options like understanding insulin on board, which is incredibly important. How do it do that? Well, that's for you to find out and for me to know. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'll tell you. So the InPen is like any other injector pen, except it tracks each dose and delivers your data to a secure app on your smartphone. So really, it's not really like every other pen, is it? It's way better. The InPen app displays your active insulin, blood glucose, and the last dose of insulin that you've taken. It also can remind you when to take your insulin. It helps you calculate and recommends your next dose. And it'll warn you if your insulin is expired or has been stored outside of the recommended temperature range. So if you'd like to eliminate the guesswork that often comes with injecting, the InPen is probably for you. There are links in your show notes and at juiceboxpodcast.com, but in the end, you just need to go to companionmedical.com to get started. I think that you'll be pleasantly surprised at what you learn when you get there. The Dexcom Pro is Dexcom's most recent professional CGM offering. What places us in a unique position in the market with our professional system is we are offering patients and clinicians the opportunity to have this as either a blinded data gathering system. So you come into the clinic and you start the system up and it begins to gather glucose data every five minutes, 288 glucose readings a day for 10 days in a completely blinded data logger mode. So there's no interaction from the patient with the device or the clinician with the device. Then they can return to the clinic and download it. Or we give you the option of having the patient download an app and have a real-time CGM experience with this 10-day professional system also. So the benefit, as speaking as a clinician, is that in those patients where maybe they may not want to engage in it or maybe I don't want them to engage in the data, mm-hmm. I have the option of doing that, but the same system can be turned around and used in a real-time mode to benefit both the patient and myself by giving them that real-time feedback. Um, you know, as someone who lives with type 1 diabetes, you understand that this is a disease of self-management. There's 8,760 hours in a year. And you might see your doctor for two or three hours a year. The rest of the time, you've got to figure this out. And giving people CGM gives them the ability to do this. And this is the approach we took was that there are, there are times when a professional CGM should be real time because it will benefit both the patient and the clinician. Is one of the uses here, I don't have a CGM, but I can get on one for 10 days so we can try to figure something out. Is that one of the ideas behind it? Sure. That's one of the potentials. You know, if you come in to see me in the clinic and I don't know why you're having these high A1Cs and your logbooks look good, and maybe we're missing the nocturnal hyperglycemia. Maybe you're really high postprandial than we realized. And this gives us the opportunity to get a lot more data. Instead of bringing me six finger sticks a day, we're going to get 288 readings a day. We're going to get a much better data density. Is it also uh, like a test drive too? I mean, is that one way to think of it? Or like for somebody who can get covered for, you know, full coverage for Dexcom, but they not sure if they want it, they can try before they drive? Is that, or is that not what the thought is? It could potentially be used as a test drive platform also for patients who are maybe not sure they want to they want to engage in this technology. I'm, I'm always kind of surprised that there are a lot of patients who still don't want to engage fully in these technologies. Yeah. 
I think it's important as clinicians that we recognize that patients have individual expectations and individual needs. And giving clinicians the flexibility with the R professional systems is something that's really unique in the marketplace. So if if someone mentions Dexcom Pro to me, it's likely going to be my doctor, not me? Or should I walk in and mention it if it's something I'm hearing about now? Well, you know, I, I strongly believe in educated patients because educated patients have better outcomes. Um, so it never hurts to poke your clinician for what you want or what you think might help you. But it, this is really, this will be a device that is going to be accessible through healthcare providers. Okay. All right. So, okay. And it like, try to help me for a second. There's a pile of them in an <laughs> office at an endo office, or, um, I go into my endo and I say, Hey, look, we can't figure this out. You and I don't seem to be getting anywhere. I heard about the Dexcom pro. I want to give it a try for, you know, 10 days and see if we can get some data that'll help us. Then I get a script for that. No, this will this will be ex, uh, this will be accessed through the healthcare provider's office. So you won't you won't be filling this at the pharmacy. You'll be getting it through your healthcare provider. Gotcha. That's what I thought. I just wanted to be certain because yeah. I have to tell you, Arden did this in uh-huh. a long time ago, and probably with a G four, and it was a blinded sensor. And what had happened was we were asking for CGM. And Arden was having like these crazy lows overnight, but you couldn't, like you said, you know, with a finger stick, you don't know what's happening. Like you just, you just think this is what's going on. So they put this blind one on her, took it off. The insurance company looked at the data and said, okay, you can have a glucose monitor. And it turned out that what was happening was we were putting Arden to bed. You know, like you hear a lot of people doing, especially in the beginning when you really don't know how to manage your insulin well. We were putting her to bed at like 180, 190. And she'd wake up in the morning at like 85 or 90. And I just thought like, wow, we're so good at this. Like we've really figured this out. <laughs> and then, you know, then the blind data came back and it turned out she was going from 190 to 50 and sitting at 50 for hours before she would drift back up to 90 in the morning. And it was happening like every night. Um, yeah. And that was really, scary. It was really scary. It was frightening. It was like, wow, not only was I not doing a good job like I thought I was, but I don't know what's happening. And she was incredibly low. And, you know, it was, a, and, and her A1C, by the way, was still like eight and a half. Like it, that's how bad we were at it. Like, you know, in the beginning, um, it's, it, it's just, it's good to have that information. It's also a strong story there that A1C is only part of the story when you're looking at managing someone's diabetes. It's, it gives you one piece of the puzzle. It is not telling you everything that is going on. Right. And I think getting people access to real-time systems in a professional manner, it's going to help a lot of patients. It's going to really open a lot of eyes. Um, something I constantly heard from patients in practice when you put them on a professional CGM and they can see the data is when they used to come back to the clinic to me, the first thing I would ask them is, what did you learn? Before I tell you anything that I've discussed, what did you learn? <laughs> because people would always have something to tell you. They would say, there is no way I can eat Chinese food. That white rice just drives my sugar bonkers, you know? It's, it's, it's eye-opening for what your insulin needs are for certain. Hey, um... God, something just went in and out of my head. Um, do you hope that the pro can maybe also take steps to showing what CGM does to the clinicians? Like uh, there are still plenty who don't, um, I don't want to say believe in it, but they don't care about it. You don't hear them talking about it with their patients. Like, you, is that also the hope that maybe they'll see something that they go, oh, wow, why am I not, why am I not prescribing this? Yeah, and I mean, there is a strong hope that we can get more clinicians engaging more patients with CGM by offering another professional platform and a pathway towards patients. Hmm. Giving them the ability to have this retrospective or this real-time data, combining it with our clarity system, 
which um, I actually think is pretty good, where we can give patients these great reports, and we can give these reports to clinicians also and kind of help the clinicians recognize the patterns the patients are having and see what we can do to help improve them. Yeah. Is that, is the biggest, what is the biggest stumbling block? I mean, taking insurance out of it for a second, is it, do you think it's people not wanting more information because they're scared of it and they don't know what to do with it? Or do you think it's the doctors who are maybe a little older and I don't want to say out of touch, but maybe just haven't been brought up in this space uh, where CGM is so prevalent now? Um, not you know, I, I, I don't think we can reduce it to one factor. I think that there's a lot of issues at play here. Um, you know, one of the things that we always struggle with clinically is momentum. There's momentum on the patient's part. There's momentum on the clinician's part. Because every time you stop and start trying to adjust therapies, it takes time. But it's the right thing to do. And if we can give people tools to make that limited time visit, because you have a limited time with this clinician, if we can take that visit and make it more efficient and more impactful, then we've done something good for everybody. I agree. I tell people all the time, like, don't wait till the next appointment. Don't do that thing of like, well, you know, it would be easier in the summer to do this, or it would be easier. Like everyone always thinks there's going to be a, a magical time where making an adjustment's easier. It's just not like you just have to do it and, and get through it. And then it's over. It usually takes, it's a couple weeks to a month, whether you're moving from uh, injection to a pump or you're moving into a CGM, like, you know, it takes, it's about a month before you can start making sense of it. And there's not going to be any perfect time. You know I mean? Unless you're a person who could take off for a month and go sit on an island with your new CGM and figure it out. Uh, but I don't think that's most of us, you know? Um, <laughs> not most of us, yeah, yeah, right? Right. So I just think I'm a, I'm a proponent of, you know, I don't think you should switch just to switch, but when the technology is so much better than what you have, it doesn't make a lot of sense to stay in the past, I don't think. You know? uh, well, this is really great, Tomas. Thank you so much. I appreciate you coming on and doing this. No, I appreciate the chance to talk to you, and it's an exciting time, and we continue to push the envelope and try and improve the lives of people living with type 1 diabetes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tomas, for coming on and sharing this exciting stuff, and I mean that. I know that often data doesn't sound exciting to people, but what you learned about that study is important. It's impactful. It can change the way you think about your type 1 diabetes. And Dexcom Pro, that's how my daughter found out about Dexcom. That's a, that was our first look into it. Right? We were having trouble way back before people understood what CGMs were, talked about in the community like this, just didn't happen. And uh, you know, doctors like, we can put you on this CGM thing and see if we can figure out the problem and look where it's led us. All these years later, it's the core of how we handle things. You never know what's going to be a big benefit to you in the future. So it's good to know about all of it. You know it's November and that means Diabetes Awareness Month is here. Right now at the Juicebox Podcast store, the merchandise place where I sell the, you know, it's shirts and stuff, but good stuff, I promise. Actually, I just got this from one of you. Thank you. I love my shirt. I ordered yours and another company's November Diabetes Awareness shirts. Yours is great. Theirs was made horribly. Ha ha. I'm just kidding. I'm sorry that this person found, actually, here's what I responded. Hey, I'm glad to know this. Not that you bought a crappy shirt, but that it makes a difference to you. I spent a lot of time researching the company that I'm using, so I'm really happy to hear that you're happy. Anyway, I've got some pretty great merchandise. If you want to go to juiceboxpodcast.com, scroll down to merch. Right now, the Know the Signs sweatshirts are on sale. I took as much of the cost out as I could. There's not a ton of there's not a ton of money to be made in selling quality t-shirts. You can sell cheap t-shirts to people and make a bunch of money, but a shirt they're going to love that's going to hold up, there's not so much there. So I cut a couple dollars out of the sweatshirts. You'll see the sale there. And right now in November of 2019, if you use the code JB, 
B-P-F-A-N, Juice Box Podcast Fan. At checkout, you'll save even a little more money. So I hope you like that. Also, the uh, Facebook group is really growing. It's like up to 1,500 people. And I know some people might be like, that's not a lot. But you should see, I guess if you're really interested in talking like nuts and bolts about diabetes with people, it's a great place to be. You can find that on my Facebook page at Bold with Insulin. You just find the Juice Box discussion group and, you know, try to get in there. You answer a couple quick questions so I make sure you're not like, you know, a monster. You're a real person. And then you're in. What else? What other kind of stuff can we do? Um, seriously, the thing from November 10th, uh, the talk I'm going to do, if you're in that area around Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, I'd love to see you there. It'd be really great, actually. I think you'll find it really beneficial. We'll talk about a lot of stuff from the podcast. Q&A, bring your Dexcom graphs. We'll do our best to help everybody that's there. Hmm. Is that it? Just say have a good weekend now, probably? Yeah, that's it. Have a good weekend.